Welcome to the Scale HQ podcast, your weekly injection of tips and insights into the secrets of scaling. I'm your host, Sean Steele, and I am obsessed with figuring out how to help founders just like you who are creating real value in the world to scale up so they can fulfill their potential. I do that each week by interviewing founders who successfully scaled, experts in all the areas of business that you need to master, interviews with founders who are still on the way up, and 10-minute tutorials and reflections from me based on my experiences in creating 100 million bucks in revenue for four other companies over eight years. So let's dive in and see what gems we can find together on this week's episode of the Scale HQ podcast. All right, welcome back to our regular listeners and to anyone joining us for the first time, we are thrilled to have you. My guest this week is Ryan Jenkins from digital marketing agency, The Hype Society. How are you today, Ryan? Wonderful, Sean. How are you? Mate, I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, for a bit of um, context for our audience, you and I worked for the same company. I actually don't know how long ago, but it's like 15 or 20 years, which is really scary. And it doesn't compute for me because you still look like you're in your late 20s. And I probably look like I'm in my 50s, <laughs> even though I'm only in my mid 40s. So I don't know if you found some like fountain of youth or maybe you're drinking those prime drinks or something and uh, you're, you're reversing in age. <laughs> I started at uh, I started at Centus at a very ripe old age of 20 years old, Matt. So, you were um, 20. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Anyway, there was some crossover and some overlap there uh, somewhere. Unbelievably, I saw a paid ad or Yellow Pages Online the other day, which I did not even know still existed, uh, which mm. absolutely amazed me that it's still alive in any way. But anyway, <laughs> I've um, I've been looking forward to today um, and I love interviewing founders who are still scaling. And uh, so, you know, what I mean by that obviously is not startups, um, scale-ups, you know, they're, they're, they're on the way, they're, they're, they've got a good business model that's working, they're acquiring customers, their team's growing, uh, and you've got a super interesting business and I want to unpack some of the journey that you're taking it on, but I also want to get as much of that marketing knowledge out of your head as possible to help founders who are typically in that, you know, two to 20 mil um, rev stage on this podcast. And so they can go out and leverage that straight away to improve their marketing and uh, customer acquisition strategies. How does that sound to you? Sounds great, mate. Super. So could you just kick us off with a bit of um, a bit of an overview, I guess, of your career to date and how you ended up mm -hmm. co-founding uh, the Hype Society? Sure thing. Uh, so sales... I suppose what I learned early days runs through my blood. I um, I left high school as an 18-year-old and had no clue what I wanted to do and ended up moving into a full-time uh, retail sales assistant role with Foot Locker, which was, I think, a really good test bed for me to really understand that sales, uh, that connection between you know product, value, trust, uh, to a conversion mechanism, and mm -hmm. I, I learned fast, even back in those days, uh, how you know leveraging trust and value in the conversation could leverage uh, performance outcomes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was fortunate enough there to you know get promoted a, a few times and ended up leading a couple of stores in one in Dandenong and then into um uh, the uh, South um, Southland location, and then after that. There's no money in retail. I worked that out pretty quickly too. So lots of responsibility, lots of hard work, and, and lots of uh, lots of hours yeah. without the financial uh, outcomes. So decided to look for a for a sales exec position, and I was fortunate enough to land one at Census, at in uh, in Vic Street in Richmond, mm -hmm. and uh, I was again really fortunate there. Um, led. Uh, multiple um, sort of sales teams and, and got promoted eventually after seven or eight years into a, a sales director role. And um, then I, I witnessed what I call the Titanic 
heading for a large iceberg and uh, just sailed right on sort of into it with Google and Facebook and some of the other online platforms in their infancy stage, but losing we were losing market share fast. So that traditional directory model of you know print and online just wasn't evolving fast enough and moved into a, um, a sales uh, director role, sales operations director role at a company called Easy Weddings, which was a okay. uh, two-sided directory platform connecting brides, mostly brides, with uh, wedding suppliers. Yeah. Had a great time there. We had really strong revenue growth. We, we launched it into the UK. I think we sort of doubled the business over the time that I was there, both with acquisition of new customers, but also the, um, the average cost or average spend per advertiser. So I, I learned quite a lot about digital, digital strategy, Facebook ads, you know, cost per lead, you know, the real functional sort of performance-based metrics. Mm-hmm. We also did a lot of web work. So I, I understood sort of websites, WordPress, landing pages, user-generated content through reviews. So that was really where I got the thirst for digital marketing. I, I loved the, the strategy and seeing that come to fruition really, really fast for advertisers. Mm. Um, after that, I went and worked with uh, Alchemy. So they were a, a sales and marketing agency. And that was also uh, powerful for me to then see, you know, full end-to-end marketing strategy, you know, into lead, inbound lead, and then into the sales conversion and then taking uh, customers on a rapid sort of growth um, uh, expansion of their business. Predominantly spent a lot of my time in, in education and, and finance. Mm-hmm. So back in the days where some of the uh, fee-for-service education uh, and the government funding uh, was was ripe for, for growth mm-hmm. and um, had a great time there. And then that led me to start my first company, which was called Digital Eagles. So I founded that in uh, 2014, I think it was, or 2015. And uh, it was, again, um, we're at, what, I, what I sort of reflect is we're a, a digital marketing gun for hire. So customers would come to us or we would go to the customer and really ask them, what are they trying to achieve? And then we would prescribe the digital marketing uh, strategy to deliver their performance outcomes. Okay. Uh, so... I ran that for five years. We had some rapid growth. We had, I think, I don't know, 350 to 400K worth of recurring revenue at the time and a couple of hundred clients on retainer. So it was, it was, a, it was a large agency um, and the vast majority of our clients were sort of in Melbourne and we had some in Auckland. Um, and then to the Hype Society. So I exited Digital Eagles a couple of years ago. Uh, in fact, Next month, it'll be two years. Wow. And we had the opportunity to, or I had the opportunity to sort of sit back and reflect on what the market actually really needed. So I did a lot of survey work. I called about 50 or 60 clients that were in our target market and really tried to reverse engineer what the market requirements were, what needs weren't being met, and what we could do at the Hype Society to help meet the needs of what we call mid-market uh, business owners and also and what do you consider marketing. mid-market Ryan because everyone defines yeah, so, mid-market a bit differently so two mil would be kind of the entry point mm-hmm. for us um, and our largest client is is generating sort of 200 million yeah okay. so it's it's a large scale but we mm-hmm. we sort of say mid-market because we don't really want 
uh, and we're not really set up to help startups and yeah. we're not really set up to help sole traders or, or real small sort of SMB yeah. based businesses. The way that we've constructed this business is to have access to the best talent. Um, the best talent requires decent investment on our side. So yeah. it doesn't help us structure the commercials well for businesses for that don't have the budget really to, to hire the hire. And so just can you give us an insight into what, what services are you covering for those kinds of clients? Yeah, I'll talk to you about the business model first and then I can sort of talk to you about yeah. what that means in terms of services for customers. So the Hype Society has essentially got three rings, uh, which is why we call it the Society. So the, the core is our is our uh, core creative and digital team. So we do things like SEO, Google Ads, Facebook Ads, uh, email automation, TikTok ads, LinkedIn ads, uh, content, SEO. So the functional execution of digital marketing is all done in-house and all done locally. Mm -hmm. uh, when I say locally, between Australia and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And then we have our creative department. So we've got digital design, graphic design, brand development, brand comms, brand strategy, uh, which is also uh, done in-house. And then we have our web team, which is our uh, web design, web development, and sort of e-commerce and, and sort of WordPress team. And then on the, the, the next layer is what we call our contractor or partner uh, community. So we have a whole range of, you know, 30, 40, 50 different contractors that have specialist uh, areas of expertise. So depending on the customer's requirement, we'll bring in those, those specialists to do things like custom integration or app development or, you know, Shopify app development or any sort of customized um, uh, requirement that we don't sort of have in that sort of core uh, service offering uh, mm -hmm. inside the Hype Society. And then the third ring is our external uh, community. So that's where we leverage software partners. We leverage, you know, sales as a service, appointment setters um, and, you know, trainers, uh, sales enablement specialists. So it's that community of people and specialists and companies that sit around the Hype Society to partner in service. So we aim to be that sort of one-stop marketing shop for all of our clients. So if you've got any sort of marketing need, then we'll be able to connect you with the best in the business, no matter what your requirement is. And that's really how we've built the business and how we also plan to scale the business too. Got it. So for a client, it's fundamentally a single point of accountability and your job is to make sure they've got the right skills at the right time to Correct. Uh, solve the problem, but you retain yep. that corporate knowledge, you retain that accountability. Okay. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Could you talk to me about what your why was. What was your why for Hype Society um, and how has it evolved? My why is to fundamentally help and support business owners and marketing specialists to have the confidence and trust that this can be done properly. There's a lot of marketing people, agencies mm. uh, that are out there that... Uh, we're an unregulated industry, so we, we don't have any guidelines or any sort of regulatory bodies that are uh, assessing or holding us to some sort of, you know, professional code or standard. So I've seen a lot of business owners and a lot of marketers that have had terrible experiences with, you know, under promise, you know, under delivery um, or over promise and under delivery or a combination of, of both of those. So really that single point of relationship and single point of contact. So business owners and marketing managers feel that they can come to one trusted source that can connect them with whoever they need, whenever they need it, based on the, you know, two decades of experience that, you know, I have personally, but also my team has multiple decades of experience to help those 
those customers connect with trusted advisors and trusted partners to deliver on their uh, service requirements. Given you ran, uh, you know, given you had Digital Eagles, what what did you take as learnings from that experience that then informed how you built this business? So much. Like just what would be like, you know, the top couple? The top couple would be to really fundamentally help your target customers, like my target customers, Mm -hmm. understand exactly what they think they need, but also what they actually need to be successful. So we have a really high focus on strategy Mm -hmm. where I had very little focus on strategy. We would... If the customer wanted SEO, we'd give them SEO. If they wanted right. Facebook ads, we'd give them Facebook ads. You know, yeah. that's that gun for hire analogy that I sort of mm-hmm. uh, was talking about before. We take the time now to say, I know you think you want that, but here's why it's really important to start here. And then we can move through to the thing that you you say that you want and need, which is the outcome. But mm. to get there, let's do the right work up front to make sure that the business and the marketing is actually able to get you what you need over the you know predefined time period yeah the second thing i learned was that investing in the right talent like we're a labor hire company essentially they you pay us to deliver a service so we invested and in involve our team like they're our business partners you know we we support them we engage them we give them the the access to education, we give them the autonomy, but also the support, the respect that they need to be the experts that we hired them to be. We invest a lot of time and a lot of money in our culture at the same time. We are very transparent about our core values you know, as a business, and we constantly help our customers and also our people know what it is to work and deliver the essence of those values to, to our customers and, and partners. I, I think they'd be the top things that I, I learned. Yeah. The um, other things would be around just the volume of information that needs to be transferred to the customer as well. Like we're, we're a high touch business where yeah. you know, almost whenever you need us, just, you know, Slack us, email us, text us yeah. and, you know, we'll respond to that. And our job is to know when things are going wrong, way before the customer knows that that's going not as planned yeah. as well because managing those expectations and getting the customers uh, onto the same page as us and, in, and collaborating to achieve the outcome is, is critically important to long-term sustainable growth relationships. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when you think of because some of those things sound very um, common sense, don't they? Like to make sure if you want to have a long-term sustainable business to actually work back from the objective of the customer, but also to manage their expectations. So when they say, hey, I want to get to this thing and you're like, you do realize you've actually got a whole bunch of foundation work and some people just out of desire to just get the revenue in a hurry and get it started without thinking, well, this is a part. If you're going to be in a partnership, at some point there's going to be some resentment if you've actually created the wrong expectations up front. So you're going overboard um, to stack the deck to make sure that everyone's kind of aligned on the same page and maybe sometimes hearing things that they don't want to hear, but it's just the reality um, and it's the brutal facts that you need to face together, which builds a lot of trust. Totally. Um, we also have a rule to help our customers pick the lowest hanging fruit in the shortest possible amount of time as well. Okay. And sometimes 
that's not necessarily, you know, taking their money right now. It's giving them some actions uh, to go away with and help them pick some short-term fruit that you know, we can advise them that that's hanging. And yeah. then once that's happened, you know, then they're closer to the start line you know, okay. with us too. Yeah. So can we talk marketing? Um, because there's no, there is no business in the two to 20 mil range that typically has, um, particularly in like two to 10, right? Like they really have a senior marketing person. So a lot of them are using agencies or kind of making it up as they go along with internal people who may or may not have that sort of skill set. And of course you can never have any one person that's got all of the skill sets in marketing. Cause it's just, so, there's just so many, um, you know, verticals of, of expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys, of course, in that range, you know, what I imagine one of their biggest, um, goals is to either build a systematic way of acquiring clients or if they've got a systematic way of acquiring clients but it's too expensive to materially find a way you know to find a way to reduce that cost of acquisition so they can you know reinvest that money into accelerating their their acquisition um, plans could you give me an example and just walk me through something that you've done to either reduce their cost of acquisition or expand their volume of sales or or, or both if that's happening together that's what we do all day every day so we have three types of customers. The, the first is the business owner persona. So we work with a, a large plumber and they were working with an agency that wasn't getting them the volume or the cost per lead that they're looking for. It's one of the most competitive environments there are, that emergency sort of 24-7 uh, sort of plumbing space is, yeah. is incredibly competitive. Uh, what we did was helped the customer really understand where their highest margin products were mm-hmm. and also where their highest ticket items were and then really understood the the pain points of someone looking for one of those particular products or services. Once we did that, we built some landing pages, some high conversion direct response landing pages. Um, we set up things like phone tracking, some pop-ups. We had specific daily offers that would uh, transition through those landing pages depending on the day. We would test a whole range of different offers. We set up a detailed call tracking uh, aspect to the campaign. So we didn't just have attribution on phone number clicks or form fills. We had conversion down to the keywords that were driving the phone calls on those particular days. Right. Okay. And we, I think we've grown them from two or three calls a day to sometimes we're getting 15 to sort of 25 calls per day. Yeah, right. The cost per lead, you know, has gone down by almost 70%. So wow. what would be now, what, give us a sense of like what would be a cost of what would be a cost per lead in that industry? So um, they were looking at sort of two hundred and fifty plus wow. to get a phone call. And what's their average Which, sale value? Uh, yeah, it depends. So an, an emergency after hours call out is decent. It's lucrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the ones that come through that don't fit that criteria. So if someone's got a block drain, for instance, then that's where you've got to make it a little bit yeah. uh, more cost effective for mm. those outcomes. So we have different bid strategies at different times of day. So we're prepared to pay higher for a click, you know, after hours versus, you know, during okay. hours. Yeah. We look at, you know, remarketing and retargeting those customers really aggressively over a 24 hour period, just in case they haven't yeah. uh, made that, made that conversion. Decision yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And so what are the overall cost of, um, do you typically do, Clients tend to work with you most on a cost per lead or do they tend to include their sales costs and you work on a cost of acquisition? Either. Either. So sometimes we, in fact, often with our more enterprise clients, we we look at our cost per lead and forecasted conversion rate, but we also overlay their sales figures. So we work with a, a tier three energy retailer. 
and they're getting about four or 500 leads uh, per week. Mm-hmm. And we have a cost per lead, uncapped cost per lead. We have an uncapped budget as long as we're achieving their cost per lead. But every week we also overlay their sales numbers to make sure that we're within our cost per acquisition target okay. for that week as well. Yeah. Okay. Now, what if I told you that with just 15 minutes of effort, you could find out the top three things that are going to hold your business back from scaling in a sustainable way so that you can fulfill its potential and you can enjoy it as much as you deserve to? And what if I told you in that same 15 minutes of effort, you can find out how your business stacks up against thousands of other businesses who've taken the same test so you can actually see how you compare? If that sounds interesting, you need to head straight over to scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score. You're going to complete a short survey and you're going to get back in your inbox a free nine page report. It's going to show you how you stack up versus your peers and where you need to focus to unlock scalability and a greater level of enjoyment in your business. And for a limited time, I'm going to offer you a free 30 minute debrief on the report where myself or one of our ScaleHQ founder mentors who are all experienced CEOs and have scaled successfully will unpack your specific report with you. We've done hundreds of these, and so we know exactly how to help you get the most out of the insights in there. There's no selling from us, just lots of value for you. Head over to scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score and get your free growth score report right now. You are going to love it. And so for those who not you know haven't spent any time playing with cost per lead and cost, cost of acquisition, you know, the difference is if you well, if it takes you 100 leads and um, to get 10 sales, then you've got a 10% conversion rate, while well, your cost of acquisition is going to be the cost of those 100 leads usually plus the cost of the salespeople and, you know, their Correct. time, their salaries. And so you've got a fully loaded, how much did it cost me to get one customer? What's well, the marketing yep. cost? It's any marketing resources. It's the sales resources uh, divided by the number Technology, of Technology, telephony, any yeah. other, yeah. Yeah. So Supporting go, people, sales and, admin. And a lot of people, uh, you know, I'm sure you've experienced it. A lot of people don't love to fall in the num- fall in love with a number. I guess, especially if they have a role inside a company where they're trying to look good, you know, they're trying to, not trying to manufacture the numbers, but they will conveniently leave out things like, oh, like the sales headcount cost or like there's a whole bunch of costs that go in with this whole thing until you fully load that all in and then divide it by the number of sales. You don't truly understand how much it costs you to acquire a customer. And then you've got to ask, well, what's the gross profit I get on that customer? Because that dictates, you know, after your OPEX, how much money you're actually going to make. You know, lots of people chase growth and it's not profitable um, at all. Yeah, agreed. And And to be honest, that's why... I personally love working with e-com companies because it kind of takes out that <laughs> middleman. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's the website traffic over the conversion rate versus uh, average yeah. cart value. Yeah. And then that gives you your Super GP measurable. and then it's up to them to manage their net. And then we just hopefully will then take a percentage of sales revenue to then reload back into you yeah. know, marketing costs. Into so we've marketing. got this yeah. uh, flywheel effect that we're totally in control of and then we've just got to make sure that they have enough stock and yeah, you know, and, so and their logistics and, and all that sort of stuff for sound. One of the things I noticed, uh, Ryan, on your website, actually, sorry, can you, just before I ask you that question, can you just give the audience just a sense of what is the current scale of the business in terms of people, revenue, customers, however you would like to um, share? Customers, we've got about 65 customers on Retainer. Mm-hmm. We've also got anywhere from sort of six to seven brand projects uh, mm-hmm. on at any particular given time. So we take yeah. on four to five brand projects a quarter. We do about six to seven websites a month as well, like decent okay. uh, uh, project websites. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the team, 15 FTE, mm-hmm. and then we have another five or six either permanent casual or permanent part-time staff. Yeah. 
the turnover will be somewhere around 2.3 to 2.4 mil at the end of this financial year yeah off the off our first year's earnings of 1.3 million last year so decent growth not going to hit target but um decent growth year on year for us you're two years in right (laughs) that's it yeah Yeah. we'll be two years on 20th of june fantastic no look that's a that's a great growth trajectory and you've uh you've learned a lot from your previous gigs to be able to apply into this one. Can, one of the things that I noticed about the Hype Society is that you have this, you have a belief in challenging the status quo. And sometimes when I see that in people's values, um, people often haven't, um, sometimes it's, it's a little, sometimes it can be not very tangible and people find it difficult to know, well, what does that really mean? Can you give me some, some specific, you know, either unconventional perhaps, uh, you know, strategies or tactics that have re- that challenge the status quo that you've used with your clients to help enable growth that you think founders should know about? So I'll give you an example of one that we're working with now. So we, we, we have a customer that only accepts online signups. Okay. So their business model is pure play online, mm-hmm. uh, find us online, research online, sign up online, and we'll service you online. Yeah. Through a series of conversations with their leadership team, we we're able to show them that they are missing potentially over 75 to 80% of their total market opportunity uh, with some other access to information we have. So we've been able to partner with a sales enablement company to now build them a proof of concept to outsource uh, their uh, and run a sales pilot. So we're going to be generating leads into a sales team. We're helping them with script development. We're helping them with their marketing key messages. We're helping them with the technology that they need to be able to service. Uh, we help them with the technology that they need to be able to understand com- and fit into their compliance regulations. And we'll be providing external uh, partnered support and reviewing the quality of those leads, but also the quality of the experience to make sure that they uh, have a, a new part of their business that can really drive the exponential growth numbers that they're looking to grow through understanding where the blocks in the sales process are. And then not just identifying those blocks, but taking the initiative to find partners and be involved in the process to help them, you know, almost create another new part of their entire business that will, I think, unlock huge growth opportunities for them. Well, that's super interesting because if you think about a traditional uh, agency, most of them aren't touching anything to do with sales, you know, with a 10-foot pole. Um, and mm-hmm. I guess you've obviously got a lot, of, a lot of background there. But to your point, you know, it's like, well, if you can prove up the cost of acquisition in that model based on the yield that they're selling for, why wouldn't you explore a external sort of outsourced third-party channel that's going to help you convert um, more as long? And I expect they'll probably learn a hell of a lot more about their customers because they're having the actual conversations that they can feed back through into improving their online, um, online-only um, self-service type experience too. And part of their core values that we understand is to be obsessed about their customer. So obsessing about your customer, having a, a really strong sales process to you know, even drive future yeah. uh, or sort of further engagement to reinforce those values we think will also really mm-hmm. help you mm-hmm. know, capture a lot of the market that they're missing. What about a marketing mistake that you have made? What you know that might have been, in hindsight, a blessing in disguise, or maybe it wasn't. But um, talk to me about a marketing mistake you've made. Marketing's really hard. 
I wish there was a perfect science. I wish there was a, you know, hopscotch style matrix where you could just, you know, one, two, you know, three, four, five, six, and, you know, everyone, we could hold hands and, you know, sing Kumbaya and tiptoe through the tulips and celebrate success. But the reality is that it's a calculated guess based on a previous previous experience, Mm -hmm. you know, based off previous customers that we've worked with, previous case studies, uh, you know, them understanding who their personas are, them having access to to great content, us having access to their, you know, their team. Like there's so many different variables that go into a good marketing success pie. And um, it's, it sometimes takes time. And sometimes we're also fighting with, you know, one or two hands tied behind our back. Like we can do the best marketing in the world and get a great click-through rate on ads and send them into a website that's not converting and then get the blame for the revenue or the the leads not coming through. So it's really understanding the whole customer journey, being transparent and proactive about identifying the blockages in the marketing funnel, taking as much as we can off their plate as well. So we're not reliant on the customer to have to do too much work. And again, we can take almost everything off their plate from, you know, video creation to design to landing pages to dev to integrations. Like, And that's really important to us to make sure that when we do highlight an area that is a challenge that we can actually do something about that. Uh, one, of the cha- one of the challenges also and one of the mistakes I've made sort of recently is really uh, not understanding competition in a marketplace. Okay. So, and also the power of brands and how much that can impact on what happened can you give us the what happened in the competition example yeah so a client came to us they had a a, a solid website they had okay revenue Mm -hmm. but i thought they were past the point of product market fit um issues turns out they weren't turns out we couldn't actually scale that particular campaign um, we tried almost everything, you know, they were our most over-service customer for months on end. Uh, we, you know, tried automation. We tried, you know, UGC. We tried different conversion. What's UGC, right? User-generated content. So okay. getting content mm-hmm. from their customers to talk about how good their product and their service was. Mm-hmm. But almost everything that we tried didn't work, uh, you know, to the point where it became, you know, non-commercial for both parties. Um, but, you know, those types of things are like daggers in the heart for me. Like we pride ourselves on getting it to work at almost all costs. So, you know, chalking that one up was was quite painful, not just for me, but also for the client. They put a lot of faith in us and our team. And they, I don't think, and again, I, they would be happy with the effort that we put in, I don't think they'd be happy with the outcome that they yeah. received. But, but um, you said there was a product market fit problem. So fundamentally, there was actually a sale. There was a there was a value proposition connectivity problem between what the customer actually wanted and what they had to offer. We just couldn't get access to enough traffic at a, at a cheap enough cost either. Right. So we looked at so many different ways to, to get that traffic. And the conversion on the site was in line with, you know, what I would call e-commerce uh not best practice, but yeah. you know the conversion rate was okay, yeah. and I didn't see that to be a problem. What what was a problem was getting that new traffic, that that previously non-exposed traffic, to a point of conversion rate yeah. at, at the right cost, and the basket size on average wasn't high enough okay. uh, as well on reflection. You would have learned a lot um, in the last however long, given the businesses you've been running, about what you know what founders can also sort of do on their own. Like, what what do you think are the most 
insightful takeaways? What were your sort of top five takeaways for how to reduce your cost of acquisition? I know that's broad and I know every business is different. So that's a very hard thing to answer. But what are some of the, what are the, some of the big takeaways around how you think people should think about reducing their cost of acquisition? Having a really well thought out digital content strategy. So that is everything you do on email, everything you do on any advertising on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, everything on your website really truly reflects the type of brand and business that you want to be. Don't think that you can half-ass it and get through. Otherwise, you're going to have to rely on a direct response sales cold outreach rather than marketing to to get the value proposition across. I think that's probably the the biggest thing that I see with our prospects when they come to us. You know, they've ticked the box, but they haven't done the work to really understand the journey that their customers go on yeah. by that first point of exposure uh, through to the point of conversion and what they would like that process to be because that should be what you focus from a marketing perspective as much time as you possibly have on that journey and then also understanding where your customers truly see your value so whether it's through surveys um, whether it's through you know reading your reviews and what your customers say it's picking out those those little nuggets of gold that you can then use to to recruit new customers from mm-hmm. and I imagine sometimes you- it's not what you think it is yeah exactly I was gonna say like sometimes you think you're like you're selling xyz benefit thinking that's the most valuable thing in this thing and they're like that's actually not what i I, like that's great but actually it's this that i get out of and you're like huh that's interesting like i'll give you an example i reckon i reckon one percent of the general market surveys their customers and actually gets any sort of sentiment from them proactively that's not out of a review request like there's a lot of customers generating reviews but no one really goes into detail with their customers around you know that that next layer down of, of sentiment analysis and getting that direct feedback from their customers. I remember reading this, an article ages ago of this, uh, this marketing director had been quite successful in a lot of roles and he said, well, the, the reason, the only reason is the first two weeks of every job, I tell the CEO that I will do, be doing absolutely nothing in those first two weeks because I will be in the office and I'll be calling, I'm going to attempt to call, you know, several hundred customers and that's all I'm doing for the first two weeks. And I guarantee I will know more than every single person in this business about actually what the real problems are, where the real value is, what's wrong with our marketing. It's like, how can I possibly build a strategy until I've talked to as many customers as possible? And I think it's very easy to forget that also customers' needs and preferences change, the way they think about your product changing. Maybe there's new competitors in the market. Like if you're not doing that sort of stuff regularly, it's pretty hard to know where to focus, right? Totally. Okay. So what about, what about, what tips would you give to founders who, let's just say they've done the work and they've got a good, um, they're, they're converting well, they've got a good offer, it's compelling, people like it, but actually they just need to cr- increase lead volume. How, what would be your sort of top five tips for increasing lead volume? <laughs> increase your conversion rate. <laughs> buy more, buy more traffic, do what you're currently doing and just do more of it. Mm-hmm. There's there's only a few levers to pull when it comes to you're either putting more irons in the same fire or, or you're getting one of those irons to work harder for you. Okay. So what do you mean by, I, can you give me an example of what you mean by that? So you can either build a 
multifaceted funnel, right? So Google ads, you know, plumber, 24 seven plumber, whatever it is, getting them into a landing page, you know, retargeting them, remarketing them through, you know, your unique value set. And then the bottom of funnel is giving them an offer or some uh, point to transact. So you can either do more of that or you can use your existing customers to go and find you more customers. So it's, you know, referrals, um, it's using your customer data to build lookalike audiences. Uh, you can buy data and do sort of cold outreach to build your audience. Like there's, there's so many ways to, to answer that question. So, mm-hmm. um, your, I mean, this is an interesting, uh, this is a super interesting time for digital marketing agencies, right? Um, there's a lot happening in AI. It's evolving every you know, 24 hours, two minutes, whatever you have to think about it. And of course, there's plenty of people that are worried. There's probably plenty of people that should be worried, but there's also plenty of people that um, are trying their best to formulate their view on what does this actually mean? I mean, in your kind of business, I guess it's also what it means for your team, but also what it means for your customers. How are you currently thinking about the implications of this sort of generative AI over the next 12 to 18 months, based on what you can see now, obviously it's going to continue to evolve, but based on what you can see now. Yeah, I think that it's the most exciting and also the most petrifying time (laughs) in human history. And that's a big statement, but it truly is uh, moving at a pace that people, unless you do your research, have very little understanding of so we're using it and it's providing a lot of efficiency gains you know for things like reviewing content generating new content uh inspiration for you know things like uh social media ads we're getting ai to generate uh examples as inspiration based on a on a a brief obviously using chat gpt to review documents to do research for us there's a whole raft of, of different tools that we're using to help us be more efficient and more effective. Because as I sort of said before, the more we can get out of tools, the more our customers can get out of us, right? So it's taking a lot of that grunt work away so we can be more focused on the strategy, the optimization of accounts and strategy and servicing our clients rather than doing a lot of the grunt work that we used to have to do. So that's that's amazing. Where it's... Gary is in not from a marketing perspective, but it's really industry. You know, it's it's having. I think I heard last night that you know AI is going to cost eighty nine million jobs, but it's also going to create ninety three million. So mm-hmm. you know what it's taking, it's also going to be giving. So it's really important to understand the areas that are the most ripe for disruption, and then also you know keeping your finger on the pulse as much as you possibly can with what with what is happening with AI because it can be amazing. Like ChatGPT4 can help you write a legal argument. So it can save you legal costs. Like there's like there's doctors, you know, it can, if you put your symptoms, it can tell you within, you know, a reasonable amount of accuracy, what's most likely to be wrong with. Like there's so much it can do. I think uh, the other day, just off the sound of your voice, it can tell you what your risk of having, Alzheimer's is for the future. Like it's it's crazy. Like there's so much it's doing, and and it's just tip of the iceberg. I feel like you know uh, people will have heard the idea of 
you know, spending at least, but those people that spend at least, you know, half an hour a day on their professional development and their learning um, are the ones who are not ever going to have any risk of being overdone or being left behind or whatever. But if there's ever a time that you need to take that half an hour, I mean, A, make that a minimum, B, maybe jack it up to an hour is now. And to be spending at least half of that time on anything that is, you know, changing in general, like find good sources of people who are doing great summaries of what's changing rapidly. Uh, we're actually looking at putting together like a sort of, uh, a live advisory board style model for a cohort of founders because so many founders business models are going to be turned upside down mm-hmm. um, to bring a bunch of AI experts in and have a you know have cohorts of founders who then can actually have live advisory and also learn from each other's businesses because they're all different and they're all impacted in different ways. Um, it's uh, it's rapidly it's rapidly changing and I look forward to seeing uh, you know how it evolves from a marketing perspective. I guess just in terms of thinking about where you're heading next um, and just a few reflections on your journey so far. And I really appreciate you sharing um, some of your wisdom there, Brian. If you were going to restart, I mean, you've only restarted this, so I guess started this journey two years ago, but if you were now going to restart Hype Society from scratch today, even though you're only two years in, what would you do differently? I'd do exactly what I've advised my customers to do, which is be ruthless in your customer journey so i would probably and we're looking at doing it already now is is really having a good look at our website is really having a good look at you know our communication practices with our existing uh customers it's also you know prospects and making sure that we've got the right nurture streams to continue the communication uh, from consideration to engagement to conversion it's um having a really strong content uh strategy for for the hype society from a business model perspective i'm pretty happy with how we've developed our business model there's i I didn't expect the creative side of our business to be anywhere near the size it is to be honest so i would probably put a little bit more time into considering the commercials and how we structured that side of the business like we're even looking at things like you know uh, creating another pnl you know, for, for that side of the business potentially as well, because they are so different. Digital marketing is very different to brand and content and web. Like you've got project-based revenue versus recurring revenue. So they're, yeah. they're, they're very different. Um, resourcing, we would probably have tweaked slightly, but again, I'm, I'm reasonably happy with how we've, how we've resourced the business. We would probably do more work up front um, surveying our customers like we're only just sort of really doing more of that work now that we've so we were sprint hard right year one was like run as fast as you possibly can and mm. don't look behind you mm. um, year two was about sustain sustaining that that growth yeah. and being aggressive but building the systems building and the processes yeah. I think next year for us is really embedding those systems embedding those processes reflecting on the previous two years and and making whatever tweaks we need to be more efficient and more effective at those things doing more research around ai like i think it really is and as you say half an hour to an hour a day is probably what i spend at the moment you know i've got a a a gentleman a, a colleague that i that i work with who did an hour a day and he's about to start a new a brand new business uh combining a whole range of different uh, generative AI platforms to build this amazing tool just because, and he's only been doing it for 60 days. So he's done 60 hours worth of 
research and he's now at the point where he can plug all these things together to do something that's never been done before and you know getting funding uh like it's just yeah there's so much available and it's it's so powerful and that'll be a big part of what we focus on for the future as well that's exciting well speaking of the future what do you hope um hype society looks like then in in three years time so three years i think we're revenue wise around that sort of 10 mil mark we're in three if not four countries so you know we're about to launch uh, properly in in auckland uh in the next month or two we'll then be looking to go into another country after that so i think within three years we'll be in australia new zealand and one if not two more depending on how that sort of global expansion goes i've got a really unique operating model that i'm keen to road test so i think that we'll have people all over the world which is really exciting for me and we'll we'll have this uh, global uh, service engine that's bringing the best in market to our customers no matter what country that they're in so i think that's exciting for us to road test we'll be you know we'll, we'll have a very very sound crm and customer management platform that we'll have integrated and embedded into the business that will be giving us really sound information about our retainers about our service model about hours about outcomes like everything will be fully integrated which it's not at the moment which is painful for the crew so looking to solve that that problem um yeah that's probably the the big picture Plenty to do and uh, very exciting um, times ahead. Ryan, thank you so much for your uh, for your wisdom and your and your insight. We really appreciate. And I would love to be able to stay in touch with you and, and follow along with the journey and you know, maybe bring on bring you all back uh, every you know six to nine months or something and hear how things are uh, are changing. Because I always love you know watching high growth businesses. Where if people want to get in touch with you or to follow along with the Hype Society journey, where would you send them to? Yep, the hypesociety.com.au is our website. Check that out. We're on socials. I'm predominantly most active on LinkedIn. My marketing team are pretty active across uh, sort of LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. So yeah, the, most of those platforms you'll, you'll be able to find and connect with us. If you need any help or have any questions, you can email me or call me. Uh, my, my details will be easily accessible. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Ryan Jenkins. Folks, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Um, you know, just so you know, when I'm not hosting this podcast, I run Scale HQ, uh, where we help seven-figure founders like Ryan, actually, um, scale their business up to fulfill its potential, step back and install management sometimes to help them create, you know, space to focus on the things that they want to do outside the business or prepare for, you know, a, a payday um, through an exit. And we do that through founder mentoring, through advisory boards, and also through courses on scaling. And very soon, actually, uh, founder mastermind groups, kind of like a peer advisory board model, uh, which is uh, pretty fun. So if you want to know any more about that, you can head straight over to scalehq.com.au to learn more or connect with us uh, through LinkedIn. Thank you very much, Ryan Jenkins uh, from the Hype Society. It's been great to see you again, mate. And um, and uh, yeah, really wish you all the best uh, in the future. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Sean. The team here at Scale HQ hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Now, if you want to achieve scale, but you want to know what's going to hold you back, we can help. Head over to scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score to get your free nine page growth score report. That's going to help you understand where your top three barriers are to scale. And if you'd like, we'll even do a free debrief on the report for you with no obligations or expectations, just lots of value from some CEOs who've scaled 
to help you on your journey. That's scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score and find out what's holding you back from fulfilling the potential of your business today.